Well, it is a delight to be here this morning, and uh, I know that uh, at Hyde Wesleyan Church, we don't have to do our normal routine explaining who Global Partners is and, and how we serve. There's a little blurb in your bulletin that gives, us, gives you a little background, but it is a delight to be here. And one of the churches, not only in our old home area and home district, but one of the churches in the Wesleyan Church that gets missions, and uh, it's just a thrill to be here. And feels like home when we come here. I just want to say thank you this morning to Hyde and uh, the people of Hyde. Um, my first thought when I came in this morning is, again, like Dan said, you know how to do missions. Um, but the second thing was, I remember, it, I think it was 2006. Is that better? It's better. <laughs> Sorry. In 2006, we were on what our family turned as the Missionary Road Show. It's when you get in the car, and your girls have all of their school materials with, you, with them in the back seat, and you go over the miles from church to church, uh, making new friends, and hoping that you can get your budget uh, completed and get to the field. And when we came to Hyde, I remember uh, having a, just a very short conversation with Pastor Bob about... Um, our time and when we're going to deploy. And in that conversation, I mentioned about our girls, two teenagers doing their school by online. They were, they were going to do online classes and that we were needing one more computer so that they could each do that. And, um, didn't think anything more of it. And probably an hour or an hour and a half later, Bob walked back through the door with this backpack, a brand new computer and all that Brooke needed to do her schooling. Um, I can say that Brooke is a senior in college, and she's still carrying that same backpack around. Um, Thank you, Hyde, for uh, supporting us through the years and for caring. I love to see the the children come and and, uh, do that every Sunday, and just really grateful for your partnership. Um, Just let me leave with you, if you don't mind, a few prayer requests before Dan gives his message. And by the way, I um, the picture that you've chosen to put behind us is very interesting. Uh, that's thanks to Brooke also catching her dad and I at an awkward moment. Um, we have um, four new families deploying to Haiti between uh, now and the end of September. So if you could pray for four new families as they come to Haiti, learn the language, the culture, and adjust to what life is like there. Um, We also have a new mission director that's been appointed in Haiti. He's been a a missionary in Haiti for years. Carl and Maya Gilles are now the missions directors, which means that Dan and I can take a step back. So this is going to be a year of transition for us. Uh, We'll still be living in Haiti, helping all of those people adjust to their roles, but we'll be in Guyana a bit more. Dan's going to be teaching in the Bible school there. Uh, so you could pray for us as we travel. Um, one more prayer request. Suriname desperately needs a Dutch-speaking educator for their Bible school. If any of you speak Dutch and uh, have, a, have education to do that, we'd love to talk to you after. Um, but if, please pray for that. Um, it's, a, it's a great group of churches, uh, a good leadership Um, But we need an educator. So if you think about that, pray for that, please. We're grateful to be here. And uh, I'll let Dan give you what is on his heart. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims. Quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry, 
start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, to rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You will be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Bold words from the prophet Isaiah. As part of the Missionary Roadshow, we spend a lot of time at conventions and gatherings of uh, Wesleyan pastors and leaders. At one of those, someone came to visit the booth where Joy and I had been working, and they didn't catch us there, and they, they left a message. Not exactly a welcome message, kind of a pointed message. The message was something like this. Shouldn't we be done in Haiti by now? We've been there for 72 years. The question didn't make me very happy, as you can imagine. I spend all of my time recruiting missionaries and fundraising and providing general leadership and oversight to Haiti and other fields, but Haiti's the biggest percentage of the work that we do. Frankly, I was a little bit defensive, given the question. And it's kind of a rhetorical question. You know what that means. It means a question that doesn't really require a response. And a lot of times people use it to give you a message, and they think it's somehow less pointed if it's in the form of a question. Well, after I had time to reflect on it a little bit, I turned that question around a little bit and began to ask myself, are we done there? Which led me to another question. I have an ADD brain, so this whole question, the question thing, is not an uncommon thing. How will we know when we are done? Are you familiar with the term metric? It's a term that's being used a lot these days to talk about a way to measure things that sometimes are difficult to measure. If you want to know how long that prayer bench is, you just put a tape on it and you can get it down pretty close. But some things are a little tougher to measure. Uh, it's tough to measure faith. It's tough to measure love. It's tough to measure impact of a church in a community. But we have to have metrics. We have to find ways to measure. We have to be accountable. And we have to find ways to know that the resources that we're investing are being usefully uh, employed. And so we need metrics. I remember when I was a young uh, mission student many years ago. It was just after they invented missions, I think. They, um, but I remember sitting in a classroom and our teacher, uh, who was a, an experienced missionary, had spent more than 30 years on the mission field, in Central and South America, and he was trying to form the young students into missionaries who had some sense of what they were about. And I remember 
sitting in that classroom that we talked about this very thing. How do you measure? How do you project out? What does it look like when a new church and a new culture begins to mature? By what means would you measure it? And he gave us three metrics. He said that you are gaining ground, you are reaching a higher level when the church has reached a level to where it can support itself financially. Not just financially, but resource-wise. The church can resource itself. And that made sense to me. I wrote that down. He went on a little farther and he said, you can tell that the church is, um, is reaching a level of maturity when it is able to administer itself. It's no longer going to need outside support. When the church can administer itself, when leaders are growing up within the organization and it's able to administer its own affairs. That made sense to me. I wrote that down. He went on in his lecturing and he said to us, when the church is reproducing itself, when uh, it's even growing a little maybe, uh, but it's certainly replacing itself, then that third metric has to be there, self-propagating the three selves. And if you read missions literature, that's a very common term. And that made a lot of sense. And I wrote it down. Is that how we know when we're done? I remember that as I became uh, more involved in missions and read a lot of good missions literature, I came across a fourth self that I think we have to add to the list of metrics to measure maturity as, as a mission enterprise grows and develops. And and that comes about because of the unique responsibility of a church in, in, in any new culture, this one or any other culture. God has given us a special responsibility, and that is to apply biblical principles to our context, our culture, our time. In fancy uh, mission theological terms, we call it self-theologizing. We're not creating new theology, that's heresy. But we are taking transcultural biblical principles... And we're applying them in our culture, in our context. And God has given us the right and the responsibility to do this. And he, he promises that he will gift people in the church. He will give them the kind of mind. And we're responsible as a church to make sure we have people who are theologians, people who think deeply about these things, and are able to help us apply these principles in our time, in our culture. And believe me, if there was a time when we need to be doing this well, it's right now. That's why from time to time our church puts out position papers. And they, they write statements declaring as Wesleyans from our historical and our theological perspective, this is how we are responding. This is our answer to things that are changing rapidly around us in our culture and in our world. So if, that made sense to me too, so I added that to my list. And so now I have four metrics to measure maturity. But frankly, as I have served as a missionary, and as I have been in some very desperate places, I've had a growing sense that those measurements, although each of them has their usefulness, were not enough. Here's my logic. If you take those metrics, and especially the last one, if you replace the self-theologizing with a marketing term, in other words, finding your values and declaring them, you could be talking about Target. You could be talking about the Lions Club. 
You could be talking about any worthwhile organization or even a not-so-worthwhile organization. And those same metrics would apply. Deep down inside of me, I have been looking for something that is uniquely Christian. What metric, what way of measurement needs to be applied to a church in answer to the question, are we doing our job? Are we genuinely growing and maturing? Are we representing the heart of God in the place where he has placed us? Are we finished? How will we know when we're finished? How can we even measure that? About two years ago, God gave me an answer to that dilemma, that question that's been kind of burning in my mind, and it came about in such a completely unexpected and even slightly bizarre way. My wife and I have five children, and I know that's our fault. (laughs) We thought we were so uh, doing so well. We spaced them out so well that since the year 2000, we have had at least one student in university every year, (laughs) right up to the very moment. Our, Our baby is a senior university and so we see light at the end of the tunnel graduations are a big deal for several reasons one as a parent you're celebrating the accomplishment of your children they have managed to plow through 12 years of high school and or elementary and high school and then they have completed uh, four or slightly more sometimes uh, years of university education, and that's a wonderful accomplishment, something to celebrate. You know how it is as, children, as parents, when your kids are real small, you think they're going to be presidents of things, and then when they're teenagers, you hope that they just don't spend most of their adult life in jail. And then <laughs> when they get to a certain level and begin to actually do useful things, how much joy that brings to your heart. I have to confess to you that I'm joyful at graduations for another reason, and that is that's a bill that I'm never going to see again. (laughs) Two years ago, we were on the campus of Indiana Wesleyan University for the graduation of our daughter, Rebecca. If you've ever been to the Iowa campus, you know it's a beautiful place. Everything there is highly organized. As you pull onto the campus, there are signs and people and you know exactly where you're supposed to go. And uh, they have a beautiful big chapel there, and that's where the service was going to be held. It's one of those places that if you sit in the back, which I kind of like to do, my western Pennsylvania roots, are uh, I'm, I'm true to them. And I noticed here this morning in true Pennsylvania fashion, some of you came early so you could sit in the back. We were so far back, it's a good thing they had screens because the people are just little people and they don't even have faces. And, and um, we just were happy to be there and didn't have any responsibilities. And so we sat there and uh, made fun of people and made smart remarks. You know how you do when you're waiting for something to start. Now don't pretend you don't do that. I know you do that. <laughs> we're kind of up in the balcony area. And uh, just sitting there chatting, and the ceremony began. We've sat through several of them, and uh, there was nothing extraordinary about it. Uh, as part of the program, the Iwu, or the Indiana Wesleyan Chorale, was going to sing. I don't know if you've ever heard them. They're extraordinary. I can't think of another word 
Um, I don't know that I have ever heard a professional group or anyone that would even compare to them. They're extraordinary. So we knew that we were going to be blessed. And uh, the music began. They sang an a cappella number. The harmony was absolutely perfect. The melody was haunting, but it was the words. It was the song, the simplicity of the idea that it contained that absolutely wrecked me that day. I can't even relive that moment without some of that emotion. Don't worry, I leak a lot, and it's okay. <laughs> this song's been around for a while. Um, my wife and I live at the end of the road, way out at the end of the road, so that may be some of the reason why we never heard it before. The song is called Prayers of the Children by Kurt Bester. Some of you have heard it. Because of our isolation, I guess, I just never heard it before. And I'll never forget as I sat there in that auditorium and the beautiful music and the a cappella voices perfectly blended began to sing the words of that song. Can you hear the prayer of the children on bended knee? In the shadow of an unknown room, empty eyes, with no more tears to cry. turning heavenward toward the light, crying, Jesus, help me to see the morning light of one more day. But if I die before I wake, I pray my soul to take. The song goes on talk about guns and war. But the image that was created in my mind that morning has haunted me. The image of children by their beds or in a corner somewhere around the world this morning. They're hiding. You see, I guess some of you have had those experiences, some of you haven't, but I have been in some of the ugliest places in the world. I've stood in the city of Soleil Slum, in the city of Port-au-Prince, where people live literally in hovels made of whatever they can collect from around themselves in their environment, cardboard and pieces of rusty steel. I've stood in the middle of the plastic city slum 
in Georgetown, Guyana, as desperate a place as there is in the face of the planet. It's not hard for me to imagine those children. And you know, as well as I, that every day that is a reality. Little children who didn't ask to come to this world. Who've had no voice in it. In those unknown rooms around the world. They pray. They are praying. And as believers, we know the answer to the question, who hears all of those desperate prayers? God hears them. He hears every one of them. Which brings me to my chain of questions again. If those prayers are being prayed, and you don't need a lot of imagination to see in your mind's eye and to hear and to know what kinds of prayers they are. Oh God, I'm so hungry. Oh God, I am so sick. Oh God, I'm afraid for what might happen to me tonight. And there's no way for us to avoid the next question, and that is, if God is listening to the prayers of those children around the world, what is his response? Because if he is a good God, there has to be one. And then the next question if we know theologically correct answer to the question is we are his response. See that's the message of the whole Bible that God has chosen to work in this world through the people who are called by his name. All that was racing through my mind. Fortunately, we were in the back because I was literally sobbing and shaking the seat, trying not to make too much noise, but I was wrecked, and I've never recovered. And I learned that day there is, a, there is another metric, and that is the heart of God demonstrated in a transformational community. How do we know we're doing our job? We know we're doing our job when our hearts beat with the heart of God and we spend our life and we spend our days and we spend our resources looking for ways to be the hands and feet of God in the place where he has placed us, not the church, us individually, people. We are God's response to the hurting people of the world. It's really kind of interesting. That song has been recorded and covered hundreds of times. If you get online and look for it, you can find it. I did that after I heard the song. I think it was in 2008 that a 70s 
rock band called Three Dog Night recorded that song. Some of you are old enough. I see you, I see you grinning. A bunch of cokeheads who recorded other devotional classics like Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog, an old-fashioned love song, which is the adult version of the song that never ends. They're still singing because they probably burned up all their money with drugs all through the years. So they're still recording, but in 2008 or 2009 they recorded this song in a haunting a cappella fashion. It's the one I listen to when I need to have my heart stirred again. But here's the irony of it. A 70's rock band is calling out the church. In order to be the answer to the prayers of the children in the church, and by the church I mean the body of Christ, those gathered here and other places this morning have to be a fully engaged transformational community with a mission and understand that they have been called to serve every generation, to change the culture, to invade their community with the kingdom of God. So are we done in Haiti or in Suriname or in Guyana or the other places where we serve? Not as long as children cry and pray in the dark corners of those places. Not as long as young girls huddle in the darkness dreading what is about to happen not as long as sin is winning and brokenness is defining our world. Not until every child who is praying a desperate prayer sees a response from God with skin on. We'll probably never be done. But we have our orders. And as Jesus was leaving the earth, he called us, the Christ followers, to the here and the near and the far and the hard. Pastor, you and your congregation are responsible for the here and the near. That's your job. The right here and the connections that the right here community will give you around you. The far and the hard is the responsibility of those that God has called and that you have sent. And Global Partners is part of that response. In 94 countries around the world to establish transformational communities. That's why for the last 55 years we've operated a hospital in a lost and forgotten place providing health care and hope in the country of Haiti. That's why we have worked so hard to develop a community health evangelism program that reaches out into more than 25 villages across the countryside from the hospital. That's why God has given us victory in that GI diseases are virtually eliminated in much of that countryside. 
That's why last year we opened a four-year nursing school in Haiti because the country so desperately needs highly trained and compassionate medical workers. That's why we are set to open in September a new pharma, uh, training for pharma, pharmacology techs because there are virtually none in the country. That's why in January we're scheduled to open our, the agri, an agricultural training school on our station on Laganov. That's why we have full-time trainers who work in theological education and a variety of other ministries. I know that this is a church that's very much involved in missions. And I salute you for that. I just hope that I can leave one seed in your mind and that the Holy Spirit can do what I could never do, and that is make an application of this truth to you. That God has called you to be a subversive, revolutionary, change agent. That doesn't mean you have to do it in a flamboyant fashion. I hope nobody's going to get arrested, at least not soon. But God has called us not just to be, but he has called us to change our world. He's called us to bring the kingdom of God to the place where we are. He's called us to be his hands and feet, and I hope that expression has new meaning for you today. Every day, I continue to be haunted by the fact that not only just in dark and desperate places like Haiti, but right here, around you. Children are praying desperate prayers. And I believe from the bottom of my heart that if we are available and if we are interested, that God will find a place he will give us connections to be his response to the desperate prayers of the people who surround us. I believe more than anything else, it is the metric that defines the church. Let's pray. Father, I know that for many people this is not a new idea. For some, perhaps it is. And I will ask you, Father, to do what I cannot do, and that is speak to the individuals who are here today and to show them what this truth means for them. Show them what it means in their life, in their place, in their context, in their family, in their neighborhood, in their place of work, in their school what it means to be your change agent. Give them a crazy vision for what you want to do in their life and in their world and in their community. Explode their limitations and help them to understand that you are God and that you can do anything. Father, thank you for the history of this church in local, regional, and worldwide outreach. Father, I pray that you will give them vision in all of those areas that will make the past look like nothing as you move them forward and as you show them your heart. In Jesus' name we pray.